Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Again, Center Church, good to be with you. Hey, before we do anything else, it's February 4th, just like Jack said. It's a new month, but some of you maybe came in a little sad uh, today. So I want you to turn to somebody near you, in the row, or maybe across from you, just say three words. Are we ready? Yeah, three words. Here we go. Lions, Super Bowl 2025. All right, so just turn to somebody right now. Lions, Super Bowl 2025. I would be, uh, I'd be lying if I said I really cared about football, but I did care about last Sunday, and so I'm praying for them into the new year and see what happens. But um, it's funny, like any, maybe you're getting ready for a Super Bowl party at your house, or you had some people over for the game last weekend. Um, but hot sauce and wings just feel like part of football to me. I don't know, like I associate all those things together. So how many of you, like this is a good old just classic, clearly used from my house, uh, Frank's Red Hot Bottle, just the original flavor. How many of you would say, I like hot sauce? Like when I go to B-Dubs or something, I like hot sauce. Okay, perfect. There's a lot of you. So how many of you are maybe like straight up Michiganders and you think ketchup is spicy? Any of you in here? Like you're like not, okay, a few of you are like poking your neighbor. Yeah. So our, our house is a hot sauce haven. Uh, it, there's not even nearly as enough hot sauce in our house for, for what I would prefer, whether it's sriracha or Frank's or buffalo sauce, whatever it is. And everything I eat really at the end of the day is a vessel for sauce. I don't know if that's how you eat your food. Like when I check out a menu or something at a restaurant that Lindsay and I want to go to, I'm like, okay, I know they have like burgers. I know they have fries, kind of the, the standard things. But what can I dip them in? Do they have any cool like aioli or dipping sauces or like, uh, a flight of sauces is like my dream. Like, do they have those kind of things? And so it's a running conversation between Lindsay and I. She's like, can you just eat normal food? Do you need all of these condiments? I'm like, yes. My enjoyment of the meal is contingent upon the fact it's got a good sauce. Any hot sauce people with me on that? You know, like, you need it. And so that's totally me. Now, what's funny about it is over time, the need has grown and I have picked up the nickname around some of my people as the sauce boss. And so I, I'm not going to wear a shirt or be really nerdy about it, but I just want to tell you, in case the next few weeks you want to call me something other than John, I will receive sauce boss, okay, if you want to call me that. You're allowed to. But I started to think about other places in my life where I add conditions or contingencies to things. And we have all sorts of things. Maybe you just bought a house and it's like, here's some contingencies. And the, in the law world, I mean, contracts all the time typically have certain conditions, or maybe you start a new job, it's got some conditions attached. I think we do this a lot of the time in our spiritual life as well, though. I think a lot of the times when when you think about your understanding of grace, or you think about your understanding of salvation, or how God works in the world, a lot of us grew up with the understanding that God's grace has 
has conditions and contingencies attached to it. Maybe you wouldn't have ever said that. Maybe you haven't confessed that. Maybe you haven't even really sat and thought about it before. But at least I grew up in an understanding that grace, God's grace in my life, is contingent upon my behavior, the words I say, if I go to church or not, what kind of sin I do engage in. Like, I have a, a running list, even now, of, of temptations to attach God's grace to maybe my behavior or someone else's behavior or their words. And, and even in my own life, I look around, there are people who I hesitate to extend grace to based on their behavior, based on what they say, based on what they like, based on what they prefer. And if we're not careful, we get sucked into, into a world and into a spiritual life that is not the way God intended us to live. Let me show you this from the life of Jonah. So Jonah, we've been following for the last couple of weeks, and I want to take us to the last chapter. So if you have a Bible or phone, pull it out. We're going to Jonah 4, and we're just going to look at the, at the first nine verses of this. And we're actually going to live in Jonah 4 for the next couple of Sundays, but I want to start us in verse 1. So let me catch you up on the story, right, if you missed last week. Nineveh, this pagan enemy nation, responds to the grace of God. They say, okay, you're going to wipe us out? Yes, we will turn, we will repent, we'll... We need forgiveness. We'll, we'll do a full 180 on the way that we've been living. And Jonah watches this. He actually is a part of that plan. And so Nineveh repents. They turn around. And God relents. He does not destroy them like he had previously threatened through the words of Jonah. And here's where we pick up verse 1 in, in chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, if you heard the audible voice of God, and your job was to communicate that, what you heard, to people around you, you'd think, that number one, you would do a good job, you'd care about it, because it's God, like, he's your boss. And Jonah says, I purposely disobeyed you, because I knew you were going to save these people that I hate. You, you extended grace to people who I did not think fit the conditions and the contingency for grace. You did that, God. And then he goes on this list, like, He's angry at God for being gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. He's accusing him of being who God has always claimed to be. He's frustrated. And so the Lord responds. I love this question back to Jonah. Listen to, listen with me in verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Like, isn't, isn't it a good thing that Nineveh turned and actually repented and said no to the way they were going and yes to the way of, of your God, Jonah? Like, isn't that a good thing? And Jonah's basically like, uh, nope, I'm going to hope that you still destroy them. And so verse 5 says, Jonah had gone out and he sets up a shelter. I don't know if it was a tent or a lean-to or whatever it was. And I think Jonah in this moment, in Jonah chapter 4, is hoping, just hoping, maybe there was like one family and they didn't repent and God's going to wipe out them or their city. And so it says he goes to the east of the city. Anytime you see east of somewhere, typically in the scriptures, that's a sign for a person leaving God's presence. East of Eden. You know, like it's a movement away. 
from the Lord. And so Jonah does it. He goes east of the city, sets up a tent, and he just sits there. Just waits. He's like, I hope that maybe God changes his mind back, and he just destroys these people. I do not like the Ninevites. He's, he's angry. He's frustrated. So then the, God provides a plant to give him some shade. Eventually that plant withers. God sends a worm. And then he says again, he wanted to die. He said, it'd be better for me to die than live. He's like, God, you get the point. But God said to Jonah, again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And I love Jonah's honest response. It is. He said, it is. Yep. I can be mad about the plant just like I'm mad about Nineveh. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. This is a really honest back and forth with God and Jonah. I actually love Jonah's back and forth. Here's why. I, I think many of us, it takes years for us ever to get this honest with God. For some of us, it takes decades to ever feel like it's safe enough to be this brutally honest with the Lord. But some of us, it takes, again, years to get there. And there's a human problem that I think is worth listening to in this conversation between Jonah and his God. And here's, here's the human problem. Jonah withheld grace from his enemies. That's a human problem. And every single, us, every single one of us sitting here watching online, we know what it's like to do that. We know for someone in our life to be disagreeable or we don't just like them or they've hurt us and betrayed us. And we know what it's like to see them in the grocery store, to see them at school, to see them in your living room and to withhold grace, withhold yourself, withhold love and compassion from those people. That's a human problem that Jonah's tapped into. He's, he's living it right now. He's saying, God, I know that you've given me grace. Like, you let me be a prophet. That's an amazing occupation. And you didn't wipe me out when I disobeyed you. You actually saved me. You gave me a whale. And it was like, okay, this is awesome. But I'm not going to give that to other people. And I'm going to be frustrated at you, God, for giving that grace to other people too. That's the human problem that all of us have to face. Our grace typically has conditions. Here's the thing. I do this online all of the time. All the time. I'll see someone post an article, which kind of means that they agree with the article, at least in my perspective. They, they share the article, like, check this out. I'll look at the article, read even just the headline, and I'm like, I disagree with that. That person's an idiot. That's what I think. You know, I'm like, they're dumb. They're uneducated. They don't know what they're talking about. Or someone will post, like, a, a meme or a reel of something or some, like, video clip of some political commentator or what it sports or whatever it is and i was like that is so not that's not it like that their point of view is so off like in my mind i'm just i'm right you're wrong i'm not going to give you grace i'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt i'm definitely not going to agree with you but i do that online all the time now i'm sure none of you do that but if you did empathize with me you know like that happens in our culture all of the time and the reason jonah is so ticked at god is that God extends radical grace, love, mercy to Nineveh without condition. It drives him crazy. And for most of us, if you're really, really honest, if you grew up with church especially, we get frustrated at that too. But here's the truth of Jonah. Because Jonah is just as much about God and who he is as it is about this really bad prophet. The line is this, that if God's grace is for me, then it's for everyone. If God's grace is for me, John Gorvet, then it's for everybody. That means that when I attach conditions and contingencies to the way I extend grace to other people in my life, I'm not fully living the grace that I've personally experienced. I haven't quite yet fully grasped 
how deep, how wide, how amazing that grace really is. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, let me talk to you. Here's what that means. What that means is that no matter what you have done up until this moment in time, what you thought about, what you've looked at, what you've bought, what you've said, who you've hurt, who's hurt you, the situations you've been in, the religious experiences you've been a part of, it doesn't matter. Any of that, God's grace for you is fresh today. It's for you. Without conditions and without contingency, you can run back to God. Just like Nineveh, you can turn back and say, God, the way the world is operating, the way that I thought it worked is not how it works. I'm fed up with that. I am going to embrace the grace that you're offering me, and he will change your life. Radically change it and transform, bring inner and outer healing. To, like, it's powerful what happens when grace gets into your world, into your, into your heart, into your family. But here's what I know. If you are a Christian, here's what this means for, for us. Here's what this means for you. That to the degree that God has touched your life in the grace, we have an urgency attached to that to extend grace to others. To be the first person in others' lives to extend grace, to extend compassion, to be slow to anger and abounding in love, to be compassionate and gracious and, and kind when maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe it doesn't really fit with the way that the world typically works. I love what Eugene Peterson, writer of The Message and biblical scholar, wrote about this. He says, a person has to get fed up with the way the world operates before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Let me say that one more time. Let that hit you. If if you've been around church for a long time, you need to hear this. A person has to get fed up with the way the world operates before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Because here's how the world operates. Grace, if you do what I want you to do. Grace, if you follow through on the contingencies. This is like a parent saying, I'm going to love my kid if they always behave. Anyone who has parents knows that plan doesn't work. Or I'm only going to, I'm only going to extend grace if people interact online the way I think they should interact online. Or the people do what they do, do what I do with my kids or do what I do with my voting or do what I do at work. And we attach all these conditions and contingencies of who gets to receive grace from me or not. As a person who follows Jesus, that is not the way God works. His grace is literally without condition or contingency. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus is having the true and better Jonah is having this conversation with religious leaders at the time. And in Matthew 16, he literally says, you're not going to take any sign that I'm actually who I say I am, that the, this is actually what God is doing in the world, except the sign of Jonah. He says the sign of Jonah. What he means is just like Jonah was swallowed up by a whale, spit out three days later, he was going to be swallowed up into the grave and spit out, released, re- resurrected by his father three days later. That's going to be the sign that he is who he says he is. And right after that, he's gathering, he huddles up his closest disciples, his followers, his friends, and says, hey, I want you to get together. I want you to, I want you to hear this. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's what Jesus tells his followers. What does that mean? Well, what happens, just like we talked about a few moments ago, is that over time, if we do not have almost a daily encounter with the grace of God for ourselves, a reminder of who, who we were before Jesus interacted with us and encountered our lives, what we end up doing is letting hardness and religion 
and stale, dead faith to creep into our lives. If we don't have that vision before us, we end up thinking, this is kind of all there is. And what happens over time is you grow a religious spirit, and you become just like the Pharisees and Sadducees that every time we preach on them, we have to point out and say, I'm so glad I'm not them. Jesus says, beware of that. Watch out. Look at your life. Look at your inner life and make sure that the grace of God is the thing that's always in front of your face, always in front of your vision, always in front of your life. You know, uh, how many of you love sunsets? How many of you, like, this weekend it was 38, and you're like, I'm going outside in my shorts and my khaki and my, and my T-shirt. You know, like, got the Tommy Bahama chair in the back. That was totally us. Like, we set out, like, a beach rug, and we just laid out, and then, and Lindsay gets home. She's like, the girls don't have, like, winter clothes. I'm like, it's 38. You know, like, it's basically summer. You know, the sun's out, though. And so, uh, and I, I know, I've said this so many times, I love the Southwest. I love Arizona. I love running outside. I love the desert. I love sunshine. Like, it's amazing that there's a place like that where it's sunny most of the year. Like, I love visiting there. I went on our first trips together as a couple, we went to, to Phoenix, Arizona, made a trip up to the Grand Canyon. And it's an amazing place. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, a few of us. So it's, an, it's a beautiful site. Now, if you've been there, that picture is beautiful, but you don't really get a grasp for how big and how beautiful that place is until you step foot in the Grand Canyon. You just don't know. And so we did this trip, and I was like, hey, take a picture of me like in my running gear. So Lindsay takes a picture of me. I look at him like, doesn't look that cool, you know, like, it doesn't really, you don't get the depth of any of the Grand Canyon when you take a picture of it, sort of like this picture, and so we, we basically went home from that, and I was like hooked, I was like, man, it'd be so fun to like run in the canyon, and I, I need to go back there, I want to check out the river, all the stuff that we just didn't see the first time, so I wanted to experience it again, so I told my sister about it, and she visited the Grand Canyon, I told my brothers, I'm like, you guys got to go here someday, and eventually, we started to plan our next trip to the Grand Canyon. So, like, in September, we're planning to go again and hike more of it than we ever have and, and just experience it again. Because once you get a flavor for it, you, like, can't help but tell other people and want to continually experience it. The grace. You know, some of you already are smart enough. You know where I'm going with this. Like, grace, God's grace, like, the purest evidence of that in your life is not how much have you been changed. God's grace is, is powerful and effective to the degree which you extend that grace to other people in your life. Now, that's not a fun truth, but it's, it's the truth. And if God's grace is for me, then it's for everybody, including the people I disagree with, including the people I do not like. Now, I get it. You may be sitting here like, okay, I, I can't think of anybody I actively hate like Jonah hated Nineveh. Like, I don't know of anybody I really don't like. Now, that may be true. For most of us, that's not true. But most of us, for, men, for some of us, that may be true. Can I just tell you, put a pin in this sermon, save the link when we post it, and come back to this in November of next year. Because in November of this year, there's something happening called an election. When elections happen, it tends to divide people. Uh, let's remember this, that God's grace is, is this for me, it's for everybody. Before we post on Facebook, before we share that thing, before we share that article, that God's grace, friends, is for me, it's for everybody. So maybe you don't need this now, but you will later this year. Because here's the fact. If, did Jesus hang on the cross and rise again? 
for your liberal gay neighbor who believes Biden is God's gift to America? Yes. Did Jesus hang on a cross and die for the person in your life, that alt-right cousin who believes everything in the world is Antifa's fault? Yes, he did. Did God literally send Jesus to die on a cross and rise again three days later for the illegal immigrant trying to cross the border and the ICE agent trying to chase them down? Yes. God's grace is for me. It's for everybody. I don't have to like that. I don't have to fully even comprehend how that all works. But that's what the scriptures say. That's what Jonah fails to really understand in this whole story. He's like, I, I've got grace. I'm good. I'm sitting in a tent watching everyone else burn. But, but then the moment comes where I have to extend that to other people. He's like, no, I'm out. And that's basically the sad ending to this whole story. And, and, and may it not be so of our lives. And here's the real gospel implications of Jonah. Jonah would rather die than see his enemies forgiven, but Jesus would rather die than see his enemies condemned. That's the gospel. That, that's what all, we just sang about it for like 20 minutes. Like, Jonah would rather die. He says it multiple times in the nine verses you and, you and I just read. He's like, get me out of here. I've got suicidal thoughts about this whole grace situation, this problem he's facing. But Jesus, the true and better Jonah would rather die, lay down his life than see his enemies condemned. That includes you and it includes the people that you don't like. If God's grace is for me, then it's for everybody. In 2 Corinthians 5, I love this line Paul uses. He's, he's writing to this young church. He says, Christ's love compels us. That's the words he uses. Christ's love compels us. It drives us. It pushes us. There's like an inner urgency to it. And the reality is that what we're not talking about is sitting around and waiting all year for you and I to just begin to like people we don't like naturally. That's not what I'm saying. We're not talking about affinity. I don't have to suddenly agree with everybody. I don't have to suddenly, like, think, man, if we all just got in the same room, we pretty much believe and think the same. That's not true. That's not the way your family works. It's not the way the world works. Unity is not just simply pretending like you all agree. Unity is where the supernatural love and grace of God gets a hold of our heart to the degree we begin to extend that to other people who we don't agree with, we don't maybe like, and we don't think like them. That's the hope of this book. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what Jonah doesn't understand, and you and I have the chance to get in 2024. That, that's the offer on the table, not just pretending like we like everything and agree on every issue. That, that probably will never happen. But the church, if there's anywhere in the pl on the planet which people who can vehemently disagree and still love and connect around the fact that they've been saved by grace, if we can't do it, there's nowhere else. Nowhere else. Because we are a weird people gathered together by the grace of God. That is the common factor that the cross, if it's for me, it's for everybody. The resurrection is for me, it's for everybody. God's radical grace is for me, it, then it's for everybody. And in this season of time, as we move towards Easter, which is literally next month. Let me just blow your mind for a second. Uh, March 31st. As we approach Easter, it is a time where people are receptive and open to hearing the gospel. But did you know 
there are still 20% of people in Byron Center, as best as we can tell, who have no relationship with Jesus, no faith, no church that they call their home church, nowhere to even think about going on Easter. And they drive by churches every single day. You can't even go anywhere in our town without driving by a church. But there's 20% of people who do all those same things. They drive the same roads you, you drive who do not have yet a radical encounter with the grace of God at work in their story. Now, when I read that, I, I like stats. Here's what I read. Four-fifths of people in Byron Center have a relationship with Jesus or have some kind of church connection. That's awesome. What community can say four-fifths of our community is reached and has somewhere that they would go, at least on Christmas or Easter? Like, that's solid. Sounds like the mission is pretty much complete. Now, I have two young girls. And if I went up to Lindsay and said, hey, Lennon, our two-and-a-half-year-old, Eden, our nine-month-old, hey, I went to the store, I lost one. But we got 50%. Aren't you good with 50%? You know, like, of course not. That would be absolutely unacceptable to me as a dad, as someone who truly loves my girls. And, and if you had five kids, maybe some of you have five kids. If you have five kids, and, and you lost one kid, and you didn't know where they were, and, and you didn't know how to find them, you didn't feel like you had any hope of finding them, but you love them, and you gave birth to them, and you've got compassion, and your heart breaks every night where you fall asleep and they're not in your house. Like, if that was your lived experience, you would be putting flyers up all over town. You would be rallying law enforcement. You'd be, everybody you know would know about it on Facebook and, and social media, and you'd be texting people, hey, have you seen them? Have you seen them? Have you seen them? There would be an inner urgency in your life to find that lost son or that lost daughter. Friends, that is how Jesus views their leader. Four-fifths of his children is not acceptable. And we have the opportunity as a church, even in this season of time, this window of time that we're in right now, to say, God, you have so radically touched my life that I will not go to sleep without being broken and concerned and thinking at the very least about the, those kids in our community who are far from you as well. The way we word it around here is zero loss. We're not about four-fifths are not lost. We're about zero loss. Our mission is not done. We are not closing the doors until there's zero people in our community who at least have had the opportunity to respond to the radical grace of God for themselves. And so maybe you sit here and you're like, I feel like I'm the lost one. Maybe you're watching online, you're like, that's, that, you're describing me. Well, today is, is your day. Turn. Look, look at the grace of God. Look at the great lengths he has gone to reach you as a lost son or daughter. And it's never too late to come back home. It's never too late. And, and if you are not lost, you say, I've, I've been found. There was a moment for me I crossed the line and Maybe you got baptized or maybe you've taken those steps. I hope that this, this word, I hope that there's something in us that begins to turn over to say, okay, 
if if the grace of God doesn't keep me up at night, if the grace of God doesn't frustrate me at election cycle, if the grace of God doesn't change the way I view my my friends and my neighbors and my my small group and my kids' teachers, like if it doesn't change those people, maybe I need a new encounter with the grace of God. Maybe I need a fresh revelation of of how far he has gone to love me. And so the question for Jonah, the question for us in closing is who is difficult to love right now? Who's difficult to love in your life right now? Now, if they're sitting next to you, don't turn to them in this moment. But it could be someone in your house. It could be someone who always posts that thing online. It could be that teacher. It could be that person in your class. It could be that that guy you work a couple desks down from. It could be those extended family member who drives you crazy or hurts you. Like, who is difficult to love right now? Because if we can answer that question, we can begin the journey of extending grace to people that we don't like. If you can answer that question, I think every one of us probably has a good answer to the question. And the opportunity today, even now, is to bring those people before the Lord and say, God, I'm asking, I need grace. And you have called me as a follower of Jesus to extend radically the grace and compassion to those people in my life. So I was sitting there yesterday thinking about it. I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm pretty diplomatic. I don't really know if there's anybody in my life I would say it's difficult to love right now. And I was sitting there. I was reading a book in in the tire shop uh, yesterday. And I was thinking about this message. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, boom, it hit me. For me, that person is a really, really triggering teacher. Really, really, now I happen to be, you know, be a part of that culture. But um, I thought about that. I was like, that that's who it is for me. It's its not someone that's super politically, not really my view. Like, it's not Lindsay. It's not one of my siblings or a cousin or no it's because there are moments almost daily where I sit there and I expect her to get I I receive I'm sorry I extend grace rather I want to extend grace to her based on conditions based on contingencies who would I say I will love you I will give you mercy I will give you grace but that's not the way God has ever viewed me and what hit me this weekend, was that what I need in those moments, and maybe this is what you need, I need a pause. I need a moment to say, God, help me remember right now when I want to do something that's not nice, and I don't want to be a good dad, I don't want to be a good parent, would you help me remind my soul, I need grace too. I need grace. I need grace now, like right now, before I can ever extend grace to her. And so today, that's that's my prayer for myself. But who is it for you? Who is difficult to love? Because if you can tap into that question, you're, you're, you're on to something. The Holy Spirit wants to begin to stir up love. And again, it's not like you've got to sit there and just like, like that person. But you've got to be willing to say, God, break up that hard ground. Break up that soil so that you can literally implant your supernatural love and grace into my life so that it bears fruit in other people's grace is for me is for you and i hope that this week it haunts us and encourages you it's the greatest truth in in the scriptures and so i'd love to pray for us before we respond in singing and then uh, and then we'll go from there so let's pray together
maybe even now you just keep that person on your mind. You just bring them before the Lord. And Holy Spirit, we just pray as we respond to you, as we open up our lives to you, as we say, yeah, there's, there's a relationship. There's a person. There's a child. There's a, a relative. There's a co-worker. There's a classmate that is difficult to love. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would break into our hearts with your love and compassion for them. That it would not be us just sitting around trying harder to love, trying harder to extend grace, just mustering up our own willpower to do it. I pray that you literally give us a heart change. That, that the cross, the blood of Christ would begin to be, be even more real to us today than it's ever been. And that would create an urgency to extend grace to those in our life and in our community. We pray that and ask boldly for that. In Jesus' name. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.